What is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. We are back. Really appreciate you letting us take a week off. I needed a brain break. I needed to peel back and I was on vacation with my family and it was awesome. But now I am back and more motivated and refreshed than ever before. We're bringing a conversation to you that hopefully helps you if you are a leader of a business going through fundraising or even if you are a member of a team that is actively in fundraising conversations. I'm bringing Jonathan on the program today to talk about his experience the last two years raising money at the juice a lot of fun insights in here if you like what we're doing over here follow subscribe hit all the buttons make sure you follow and subscribe to this podcast and the newsletter the newsletter link is in the show notes without further ado let's kick into the conversation we are back if you're a loyal listener um, thank you for waiting for us to return. Uh, there hasn't been many weeks off since we started this thing, but as I alluded to, I needed a little bit of a breather and I needed to hit the beach and not necessarily think about content or content distribution for a bit. So we're back and I've got Jonathan back on the podcast. And I felt like because it is a topic of conversation here always, but more more specifically right now than ever before is, is fundraising. So I thought it'd be good to bring Jonathan on talk a little bit about fundraising and just get into it. And hopefully like the intention is just hearing some of what Jonathan has learned. I'm assuming Jonathan might make himself, actually, I don't want to make assumptions, but I'm hoping Jonathan makes himself a little bit vulnerable talking about this process. Uh, But yeah, let's just get into it. Jonathan, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I know so little and have learned so much about this process. I have no option but to be vulnerable as I talk about it. So uh, looking forward to it. Okay, so I want to start here. What was, and I guess rewinding the tape, it's been two years and a half, maybe a little bit more of just since the juice was a concept. And so like when you're a CEO and founder, obviously in tech, fundraising is a big part of what you do, but I'd love to maybe understand what your perception of fundraising was before you actually started to do it. Yeah, my perception of fundraising, and it changed a lot as we were starting. We started it in the middle of COVID. You know, I think pre-COVID, it's you fly out to the West Coast, you fly out to the East Coast, you fly everywhere in between, you get in a room and you pitch, right? You you give your presentation, you click through the slides and um, maybe not on the spot, but you get an answer, yes or no, maybe follow up or maybe on the spot. I think COVID changed a lot of that. I think probably for good, a lot of that now happens virtually, at least at this stage. Um, so, th- so that was one thing. I, I remember we spent in the early days a lot of iterations on a lot of time, a, a lot of iterations on the pitch deck. Because again, my vision was now we're going to get on the Zoom. I'm going to pull up the slides and I'm going to go through slide by slide. I have um, had probably 200 plus meetings with VCs at this point, And probably about 10 times maybe total have have has it been like presentation pitch deck like you know full on like presentation mode right uh, more often what happens is it starts very casual uh we go back and forth we do some q and a then i kind of go into talk track about the business right and then I have some slides to support it if they're interested in seeing that. More often than not, I like to jump right into product because I love our product so much and I think it shows off really well. 
Um, and then I use the slides more for Q and A, um, right? Like they'll ask a questions like, oh, well, I have a slide about that. Let me show you like, right. I'm a visual learner. I think a lot of people are visual learners. So, so that was really surprising that like the pitch deck, the, I think traditional pitch is something that uh, I didn't do too much. And I think some of that's personal preference, but um, even as I kind of presented the opportunity to people on the other end of the call, like I have slides, I have product. I'm happy to jump right into slides if you'd like more often than not, the vast majority of the time, it's like, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll go from there. So uh, that was surprising. And I think similar to that, I'm rambling now, but I remember as I was working on the pitch deck, uh, I had the fortune to rehearse that with the high alpha partners. One of those being Scott Dorsey, former CEO of Exact Target, acquired by Salesforce. Somebody uh, carries a lot of weight in the tech space, and honestly, like kind of in in Indianapolis in my professional life as well. I think yours as well. Uh, ton of respect. Um, and I remember him saying, "Pitch is fine, you know, great, whatever, but spend more time preparing for Q and A than you do preparing for the pitch." And at that point in time of my own personal timeline, I was kind of like. No, like I like I'm gonna be pitching everybody. Like I need to make sure the presentation is nailed. Unsurprising to everybody, uh, Scott Dorsey was exactly correct. Uh, I think like if I could give other founders, other people pitching advice, it is like go through Q and A. You know, present to people who know very little about your space and see what questions they ask. Present to people who know a ton about your space and see what questions they ask, and just kind of fill out that roster of potential Q and A questions, and that'll make your I think interaction with potential investors so much stronger. So the I would imagine just in knowing you and going through these 200 plus meetings, like you're doing your due diligence and you're doing some research and understanding not only who you're going to be communicating with, the uh, types of VCs, what they typically invest in, you're doing homework as a buildup. How often do you feel like the VCs were doing homework on you and the juice and what you're building? I'd love, because I think this is important. You're doing all of this work. I'd love, did did that get reciprocated or did it feel like people were hearing the news from you for the first time? That's a good question. You could tell very quickly whether or not they did their homework. I would say 20% maybe did some small amount of homework. I think a lot of VCs will ask for the pitch deck ahead of time, which is interesting. There's some conjecture in the space, I would say, about whether or not the founder and CEO should send the pitch deck ahead of time. I think there's some people who say, like, don't do that, like make them show up to the meeting and let you share the narrative with the pitch deck. I've always shared it when they've asked about it. Um, I think sometimes that gets a quick click through and you can tell maybe they've just done that. Or sometimes they'll visit the website, they'll they'll, you know, look at your LinkedIn profile. Um, but you can tell very, very quickly whether or not they've done their homework. And then other times, you know, you get the introduction from somebody who's helped them do the homework a little bit by sharing the context of why they think we'd be a great fit and that sort of thing. But, and there's, I mean, they're, they're seeing, I'm pitching 200 times. They're seeing hundreds of pitch pitches over the course of the year. So it's understandable to a degree, but you know, you can tell very quickly how seriously they're taking the opportunity typically. So you focused in on uh, the first meeting, I think, in the feedback from Scott Dorsey around questions. And I think that's interesting. I want to know a little bit more about after that first meeting, what the process looks like. I'm sure there is follow-ups on follow-ups. There's more meetings, like maybe talk a little bit through 
how maybe your approach when you started and then how it has been refined based on just the reps and sets of conversations that you had? It's no different than a sales process. It is not, um, you know, it sounds very big and scary and foreign. I manage it the exact same way I manage a sales process. A lot of times, so you pitch, you know, sometimes in that pitch, you'll get a, this is a fit. We want to learn more. Here's what we need to do that. Sometimes you'll get, this isn't a fit, like, sorry. More often than not, you're going to get a, can you send the deck? We'll follow up after our next partner meeting, which is typically a Monday or Tuesday the following week. You know, if you don't hear back after that partner meeting, it's probably a pretty good indication that uh, you weren't a topic of conversation. But uh, doing my job, you know, I'll follow up with them. And sometimes it does, you know, solicit a response or them wanting to learn more or they just hadn't gotten to it yet. A lot of times there's a second meeting, um, sometimes even a third meeting with different audiences each time, different topics each time. Um, but it is a lot of just follow up and kind of chasing down responses. I always, you know, yes is the best thing you can hear. The second best thing you can hear is a fast no. It's the long no's and the long maybes that will absolutely kill the process, which is the biggest thing I've learned throughout all of this is that the ability to drive urgency on the investor side is just absolutely critical, whether or not that is uh, you've created that urgency or there's some real compelling event to drive that urgency. Especially, I would say right now in this economy, a lot of investors are just trying to wait it out and write it out. And so now that urgency has gotten even that lack of urgency on their side has gotten even more exaggerated and you have to work even harder to create it. How much of the interest is around the product and what exists and what could potentially exist? And then just to layer on one more thing, the actual people, like I'm sure in these conversations, uh, you can feel when someone is trying to test or evaluate you as someone that they want to invest in. Talk a little bit about that. You can bet on the jockey or you can bet on the horse, right? Um, and I think at this stage, it's a lot of betting on the jockey, which is, is weird for me I, because I think our product is actually ahead of where like most businesses are at this stage. So that's where I I mentioned earlier, I always love to jump into product and show it off because I think it catches people off guard at how advanced it is at this stage. So there's a nice balance there, right? Uh, I've spent my career in B2B marketing, which uh, investors typically really like. They like to invest in people who have felt the pain, uh, who know the buyer persona really well. Um, I'm not, I'm a first time founder. So that's maybe a strike against me, right? As they're evaluating this, I don't have a previous exit or a previous, you know, huge success story. So that's uh, interesting. So I think at the seed stage, there's a lot of belief in the founder, a lot of conviction they need to have in the founder. And then I think you can score points with other things, early traction, big vision, big market opportunity, cool customers, uh, the rest of the team and and the product as well. I want to revisit what you mentioned and just these outside forces and the kind of kicking the can down the road. Talk a little bit about just like, those things that you can't control because they're happening around you and that impacts VCs, timelines, decisions. Like how do you manage through that? Even though like, you know, no matter how strong your conviction is in what we're building, that it's in nature of sometimes the response is the nature of the circumstances. I think it's on me to a degree to just intimately know what's going on in their world as well. So for instance, investors right now, if they were to invest all of their capital or allocate all their capital, it's going to be hard for them to fundraise right now because their LPs are being impacted by the market as well. So like 
you have to be able to empathize to a degree and you just can't have your head in the sand about like only focused on what the juice is building. Like again, that empathy and understanding of what investors are going through, I think is important. It still doesn't make it any easier or necessarily any better. I think, you know, coming up with those compelling events to drive urgency are really important to break through some of that. But um, I think ultimately, like you just have to be aware of what's going on in the macro environment, what's going on in the VC environment, do your homework, understand what they're going through. And I think some of the homework you can do then on individual funds will tell you a lot. Did they just launch a new fund? Are they near the end of a fund? Uh, Are they actively investing? You know, check size is changing. There's a lot of volatility right now in valuations. So I think keeping um, an uh, ear to the ground uh, and, you know, looking at the data on how valuations are changing is just, you got to, you know, knowledge is power. And I think you got to educate yourself, not just on your business, but what's going on in the rest of the space. I'd love to understand maybe a specific example or a breakthrough moment. Like you've had so many of these conversations. I'm sure you've been told no more than you've been told yes. I'm sure you have, like you said, you have it treated like a sales process. Any great salesperson refines their process when they understand something works better than the other. Has there been a specific moment in conversations where you have either have it, have done something differently to advance the conversation when you weren't expecting it or anything else? Just like one of those moments when you think about just this first couple of years of fundraising that stand out to you. Our lead investor, we met in person. And I think that was really important. Um, I, so I'm, I don't know, maybe the stereotypical like Midwestern humble guy. Uh, I, I'm not great at puffing out my chest and pounding on it a little bit. And I think, you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs who maybe that's why they're in entrepreneurship is because they love to do that. Uh, That's probably an unfair stereotype, but uh, I would much rather give the credit to the team, give the credit to the product. Um, You know, I want, and and I'm high, even if you look at like personality pro or um, uh, like disc profiling, I'm high on the influence scale, right? Like super high on the influence scale. I, to a fault, always want I want to drive the others to believe, right? And I think sometimes to an investor and probably even to the employees, that comes across as me not believing and asking them to believe. And that I think comes across passive sometimes, especially to investors. And so it's even in Zoom calls, like I have received feedback from High Alpha that like, hey, you like what you're doing is really cool. Like you just need to like be a little bit more um, or a little less humble about it. Like brag about it a little bit, right? Like show off a little bit not my natural state. So even on Zoom calls, I've I've forced myself to, I think, speak more aggressively, speak more larger than I typically do. Uh, But then in person, I I do think I actually portray that a little bit more. You've seen me in meetings. I like to pace. I like to be interactive. I talk with my hands a lot. Uh, I'm Italian. I'm just, I, I share that energy in person much better than I do on a Zoom call. So I think there's something to that. Um, when I can get in person, when I can be in the room with the investors, I think that passion and that excitement and energy shows off better. And then when I'm not in the room on Zoom, I have to push myself to an uncomfortable point to make sure that comes across in the virtual environment. And that's just something I have noted repeatedly uh, throughout the process. So we have rocks and um, obviously like a majority ever since I can remember your rocks have been centered around fundraising and which makes a ton of sense. The, and this is more like asking because I'm hoping someone on the other line 
is going through this as a uh, founder or about to be a founder, just the management of time dedicated to fundraising, even though it's a priority. And then also being as the leader of the business, like managing, making sure you're still involved in digging in, like just as someone who works on the small team, you say these things like I that for the next two or three days, I need to focus on this and that's what I'll be doing. But like, I still always feel like you're pretty involved with what's going on, needing feedback and that sort of thing. So like, I'm sure that's something that you've had to evolve and learn how to manage because it was new as the juices um, started. But talk a little bit about that, like playing both roles. How do you manage it? Any feedback that you have? It comes in waves. I think there's, you know, a week where it's like, all right, I'm pitching a ton this week. I need to be really focused on that. Like keep my mind clear on that and not get like bogged down by uh, other projects. Right. And then the following week, it's like, okay, it's just follow up. Uh, I can, you know, get back into the business a little bit. And so it just kind of comes in waves. I I think there is some thought process to trying to like bundle uh, your calendar a little bit, uh, you know, tell all the investors you're reaching out to. I'm meeting with investors over this two week period. Uh, I'm the goal is to have a term sheet by this date. And if you can drive the process a little bit, I think that's super helpful. I am fortunate, you know, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the fundraising process is a lot like the sales process, which I'm also involved in right now. So like, you know, it's very efficient for me to do all my sales follow-up and all my VC follow-up at the same time. Cause it's essentially the same thing, just different, slightly different email, slightly different audience, but like the, the work is the same. So you can kind of stack it like that as well. I think the one thing I've learned um, that does take a little bit more time that I would encourage people on the other end of this. Uh, I've been fundraising for a while. We've been fundraising for a while. Markets dictated that to a degree. Um, But what I hadn't done a good job of is continuing to engage investors who could potentially be investors in the future, but aren't current investors. I'm really good at engaging our current investors. I had not done a good job of keeping our I call it friends of the juice, uh, people who could potentially be investors down the road. I hadn't done a good job of keeping them engaged. That's something now that you know I've built a uh, quarterly uh, communication cadence with them. Um, that's something where I think you're always fundraising and you need to make sure you have the process to keep those people engaged. I was going to ask about the management of relationships and with that group. It's funny in listening to you talk like it's it's while they're not investors, they're marketers. So it's the same thing for me. And it's like, um, just getting in front of them at a quarterly basis or a semi regular basis, like can lead to a new conversation that might lead to a new investment or sales opportunity. I'm, I'm curious, like, since you've started that, uh, quarterly communication, like have people responded back to you and saying, Hey, actually I've been watching you, what you're doing. It's actually really cool. Like, has there been any good feedback that you've received that you wouldn't, wouldn't have gotten if you weren't doing that? Yeah. So I sent our first kind of quarterly friends of the juice at the start of the year. And I probably got two or three meetings out of that, that were just like check-in meetings. Like, Hey, it's been six months since we've talked, like let's check in and hear how things are going. Um, so it's a really good, it's just a, it's a nudge, right? It's a, Hey, we're still here. We're still growing either. Sorry, you missed it. Or, uh, you haven't missed your opportunity yet. If you'd like to, you know, learn more, let, let, let's connect. And so, yeah, it's been really good. And I think, um, it's something that we'll continue to benefit from into the future, especially as we get beyond this round, move towards a series. A, a lot of those people that are on that list are people that we are just too early for. Right. So I want to keep them posted as we grow, kind of grow into being a fit for them. 
in those communications, like what sort of information are you sharing? Are you sharing like sales specific stuff, just milestones, like membership? No, like what are you sharing to try to get their attention? It's a combination of quantitative and qualitative, you know, proof points, I would say, uh, sales growth, renewals, expansions, and then user growth, user engagement, the, the kind of typical suite, and then all the qualitative stuff, right? Uh, we launched a HubSpot integration. We launched an event that had 400 registrants. Our email list has grown to this. Um, it, it's a combination of the quantitative and qualitative while keeping the narrative kind of concise and logical. These people, you know, they see maybe quarterly an update from us. So they don't intimately know our business and all of the nuance to it. So that's what I struggle with. Cause I want to, I want to dig in and like show them like the most minute granular details that are so cool. But like, I have to remember, this is probably the first time they've thought about us in three months. Like how do I make it cool and exciting, but also high level enough that it makes sense. All right, let's close it out by um, you've shared a lot of good information and you've uh, learned a lot through your process. What is the most important piece of advice that you'd share to, and I'm going to say anyone who's going through this process from a leadership perspective, but then also like maybe take it for any anybody who's listening, who's at a company where this is actively happening. So just like, you know, a, f- a functional role player, but is on the other side of listening to their CEO communicate about fundraising. Like what sort of advice would you share? I'm going to give three pieces and I've, I've kind of hit on all of them already. So one is just like, be prepared for Q&A. And I think you mentioned like people who aren't fundraising, like if you're an employee and you have questions about the fundraising, like ask your CEO, it's going to help him, uh, him or her. It's going to help them just like, they're going to receive questions from people that don't know a thing about your business. So like, no matter how silly or small you think the question will be like, ask ask your leader. Um, I think so prepare for Q&A, I think is really, really important. The other one, always be filling your top of funnel um, as it comes to fundraising. Uh, Our lead investor is somebody that I thought I was talking to late in the process. And then it actually spun out into a new fundraising process. And it's just like, because I was always asking for introductions, that introduction came from another CEO and colleague that I had. Uh, So like, even when you, you think you're late in the process, like, stuff changes really, really fast and can go backwards really, really fast. So never stop filling your top of funnel. And then lastly, urgency. I think specifically right now in this market, it's going to probably take longer than you want it to and you anticipate it even if you build that in. So think about what are those compelling events in the market and your business and the process that you can use to drive urgency. I think those three things are critical. Q&A prep, top of funnel and uh, driving urgency. And uh, I think the rest of it, you manage it like sales process and uh, you should be excited about what you're building and, and can have a lot of success throughout the process. Hopefully this gets you all to think a little bit differently about fundraising. Jonathan, appreciate the transparency and the knowledge transfer. I'm sure we'll be talking about fundraising again because it's always a subject of conversation. Thanks, man. Thanks, Brett. I hope you gained value from that conversation. I always think it's good to hear stories from other leaders and businesses about things like fundraising because they really impact everything we do as marketers working at startups and scale-ups. If you like what I'm doing over here, hit the subscribe button. You take care of yourself and we'll be back on Friday with more Modern Day Marketer.